So we're continuing our study today in the book of Ephesians, and we're actually making a slight jump backwards from where Karen uh, shared with us last week. I, I had asked Karen a month or two ago to come and had the schedule planned out. Didn't get to quite where I was hoping to by the time she came, and so, but we're going to go back and pick up in the middle of chapter 3 um, where we left off when I was last preaching because I wanted to cover this important section. And actually, somewhat appropriate because there is this little interruption that goes on here in chapter 3. One of the things as I was reading this, I was thinking about Paul and prayer. And when we read Paul, this man who wrote many of the letters in the New Testament, oftentimes we hear him and he's exhorting, encouraging people to pray. You know, pray without ceasing, to continue to pray. But when you read the letters, you also realize that Paul himself is a man of prayer. That he didn't just talk about prayer, he didn't just encourage people, but he himself prayed. And we've already actually seen one of his prayers earlier in the book of Ephesians. So we're going to take a look at this prayer and think about what it is and how it can be helpful for us in our own prayer life to think about the things that we might be praying for. And so earlier so far in the letter, Paul has painted this grand picture of God's plan, this plan that was from before the foundations of the earth to call together a people for himself. And then he's brought all this to reality, all this to fruition in Christ Jesus. That he's united Jews and Gentiles, that he's forgiven us our sins, that he's brought us from death to life. He's made us into a new people, and this new people is being called to live out this new life, to live out the purposes to which he's called us. And chapter 3 is picked up, and Paul starts to pray at the beginning of chapter 3, and then he interrupts and he shares about his own sufferings and how his own sufferings are a picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And then he starts again down in verse 14, and we're going to look at this prayer for today. And he begins, one note as we begin is to remember that again, the you, in all of these cases, is a plural. And so I shared a few weeks ago, we could say, everywhere we read you, you could say y'all, or as one person suggests, maybe it's all y'all, which is a way of saying it's, it's a plural, you know. So this is all y'all. So, but he begins, he says, for this real, I, for this reason... This is chapter 3, verse 14 of Ephesians. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. And he portrays this picture of getting down on his knees. Now, Jewish practice, we're not sure exactly what postures they took. But uh, Pastor Eugene Peterson writes about this idea of kneeling. And he says there's something unique about kneeling. And think about when you go down on your knees. When you go down on your knees, you can't run away. You're in a place. You're not going to go away. You're putting yourself in a place of vulnerability. You're putting in a place in a place where you are there for a little while and for some of us a little bit longer when you get down on your knees. And so he says, for this reason, I kneel. And so he's getting to this place where he is vulnerable before God. Where he says, I'm going to stay here for a while. I'm not going to run away. And he's, I'm kneeling before the Father. And this term that he uses to describe God, the Father, is this nation picture? He says, the father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. In other words, God is the one who is the source of all life. He's allowing us to think about this and say, this is who he is. And then he begins the prayer. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, and what you'll notice as we go through this prayer and aspects of it, and I'm not going to take time to point out every single one, that many of the phrases and words that he uses are echoes of what's gone on so far in the first two and a half chapters. He prayed that out of his glorious riches. 
And he's talked about this before, how God is this God of abundance. God is this God of generosity. God is, and so when we're going to God in prayer, he's saying, we're going to a God who has glorious riches. We're not going to a God who has just a little bit. We're not going to a God who might run out. We're not going to a God who has only a little bit, but we can go in confidence and pray because we know that God is a God of abundance and has these glorious riches and all these things that he's seeking to bless us with. Back to chapter one, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So God is generous and good and kind. And so when Paul starts his prayer, he says, I pray that God out of his glorious riches. In other words, we're not praying that God would maybe find a little, you know, a little bit of somewhere deep down in his pocket, find a little bit that God has to dig or God's a little bit stingy that we're trying to convince God to give us something. But he's saying, I pray that God out of his glorious riches. But then we notice what he prays for. And this is instructive to me to think about how I pray sometimes. Because as he's praying, one of the things he's saying is, this is something that the people in Ephesus need. This is something that the people of God who are receiving this letter need to hear. And maybe it's something that we need to hear. Maybe it's something that's missing in our life. And so he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And again, there's that language we've heard, that he's strengthening us with power. And where is it in our inner being We've heard this phrase of strength and power before when it's talked about it's the same power that he says back in chapter 2 that raised Jesus from the dead. And so when we're talking to God and he's saying, I want power to be in us, he's saying he's that same sort of power that raised Jesus from the dead. And then he goes on and he said, well, what do we want that power to do? What are we hoping God's power will do? He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And so that it's kind of really a parallel structure where he's saying, that the Spirit strengthened Aaron being and Christ dwelling in us. And again, this is dwelling in all y'all's hearts. This is dwelling in the midst of his people, not simply inside of each of us individually, which is also true, but in the midst of all of these. And so these are kind of different ways of saying the same thing. He's saying, I'm praying that the Spirit will be inside of you, that you, Christ may dwell inside your hearts. In other words, this is the way, the path of transformation and as we pick up the second half of the letter to the Ephesians, as we pick up from chapter 4 onward, and there's all these changes, this transformation that he's called for, what Paul's reminding us is we can't make these changes on our own. This is one of the temptations. One of the things that we so often get sucked into in the church is we know what God calls us to do. We hear the words that Jesus calls us to do about loving our neighbors and, and being generous and being kind and being loving and having joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. But we have a temptation inside of us to try and do it on our own. A temptation to try and fix us, fix ourselves. There is a reason that if you go to a bookstore, that one of the largest sections is the self-help section. Think about just simply that label, self-help. The idea being that if I just had the right book, if I just found the right five steps or the right four steps or the right seven steps to do, then I would be a better person. And we do it in church sometimes too. And sometimes it's the fault of pastors because sometimes 
we as pastors sometimes encourage you, we, we give you these grand visions of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And then the implication is now you got to go out and do it yourself. That now you got to go out and try a little bit harder. And so I apologize when I give you try harder messages because that's not the message of Jesus. The message of the scripture, the message of Jesus is that that transformation takes place as the power of the Holy Spirit works inside of us. That transformation takes place as Christ lives inside of us. It's not up to us to fix ourselves all on our own. We put ourselves in the place where God does that work and does the transforming work. But what is Paul praying for here? What specific prayer is he looking at here? How does he want the Spirit to change the people he's writing to? And how does he want the Spirit to change this? He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love. Again, those are echoes from earlier on. When he's talked about this idea where he says, but you are fellow citizens and members built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, this is the end of chapter 2. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And there's these kind of organic and architectural images. It's a tree and it's a temple. That he says, you being rooted and established in love. He's saying that's the foundation. That somehow we're rooted and established in love. And one of the things that Paul has made clear throughout this is this rooted, this being rooted and established is communal in nature. That it involves being connected to other people. In other words, what's gone on before in chapter 2, it started off with each of us as individuals caught in our trespasses and sins. But then it talks about the wall coming down and Jews and Gentiles coming together. In other words, there's these unlikely group of people. We talked about this a few weeks ago. God brings together to be his people. And not simply to be his people, but to be a temple. And the temple was what? The temple was the place where God dwells. And he's saying he brings all kinds of unlikely different people who had all kinds of reasons to not like each other and brings them together to be his people. And the temple is the place where God dwells. And so as I was reading this and thinking about it and listening to what others had to say and reading what they had to say is one of the things is that's key to our growth as Christians, key to our growth as followers of Jesus is seeing through the eyes of someone not like me. Is to recognize that a necessary component of growing in love is being around people who are different from us. People who have different perspectives, different ways of seeing things. 20 some years ago when I was going through seminary and when I was learning about church planting and how to start new churches, there was an idea that was popular in church planning. It was called the homogeneous unit principle. Fancy words of saying the best way to grow a church is to find people that all are the same, that are homogeneous. So you find a bunch of people who all like the same kind of music. They all shop at the same sort of stores. And in fact, I was familiar with one church and they were doing some outreach programs and they were out there and they, they looked and they were deciding where to do this outreach program. And they said, well, no, we don't want to go by Walmart. That's not our kind of people. We want to go to Target. And so there was this sense of saying there was a group of people and we want people like us. And I will say this, that will grow a church fast. If you go and you try and put together a church and find a bunch of people who are all very similar, you can grow a church fast. It will grow wide 
but it also won't grow very deep. Because what the Bible continually teaches us is the nature of growth in Christ is communal, that we need other people. And one of the ways that we need other people is, remember when Paul, Paul talks in one of his other letters about these fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Those things are a whole lot easier when you're around people who are just like you. If you are talking with someone and they agree with you on absolutely everything and they think the same way as you on everything about everything from the books you read to the music you like to your political choices, it's pretty easy to be patient with them. Now, how easy is it for you, how easy is it for me to be patient with someone who has an absolutely divergent view from you? How often do you find yourself irritated and losing self-control when someone just can't seem to understand that they are wrong and you are right? See, Paul, Paul recognizes that in order for us to truly be shaped like Jesus, we need to be around people different than us to grow in this. And one person said it this way. He said, there are depths and dimensions of the love of God that are impossible, impossible to experience without regularly surrounding ourselves with other followers of Jesus who are not like us. I'm going to read that again. There are depths and dimensions of the love of God that are impossible to experience without regularly surrounding ourselves with other followers of Jesus who are not like us. In other words, in order to grow in the faith, we need to be around people who think differently than us. We need to expose ourselves. To, we need to find ways and understand what it looks like to love them. And that can take all sorts of different ways. I've been reading a book recently by a professor from Wheaton College named Esau Macaulay. And the name of the book is Reading While Black. And he is an African-American professor there. And he writes this in his um, thing, and he talks about and this is the, from the introduction to the book. He says, um, This book is not an apologetic attempting to explain away all the problematic parts of church history, nor is it a defense of the entire black Christian tradition. Instead, it is an attempt to show that the instincts and habits of black biblical interpretation can help us use the Bible to address the issues of the day. It is an attempt to show that for black Christians, the very process of interpreting the Bible can function as an exercise in hope and connect us to the faith of our ancestors. More than that, is an attempt of one son to do justice to the faith given to him by his mother as a representative of a tradition that has borne black people in this country up under suffering for centuries. It is an assertion of a claim, namely that the black ecclesial tradition, in other words, the church, has something to say that strikes a different note than the standard options given to students of the Bible, often given to students of the Bible and theology. It is a love letter from a somewhat wayward son of the black church who did not appreciate its depth and power until he went searching for the truth and found that it was at home all along. And so what Professor Macaulay points to in his book, and he's writing primarily to black Christians, but as a white man looking on from the outside, one of the things I realize is when I read my Bible, I read it from the tradition that I grew up in. 
I learned a certain way to read the Scripture and to read stories, and I often realized that I don't see the same thing in stories that other people see. Another book that I've been reading uh, by Dominic Gilliard, who is a um, part of our denomination, and he has a book called Subversive, Wit Sub Subversive Witness. And he takes through some Bible stories. And what I was amazed as I was reading Dominique's book was things he saw in stories that I had never seen before. Passages that I had read numbers of times, and he took it from a different perspective. Or, or writers like Beth Allison Barr, and she talks about some of these same things and being able to see stories from a different perspective, to see the stories of women in the Bible, to see the stories of the oppressed in the Bible, and to see them from a completely different perspective. And this, I think, is what Paul is getting at here, is that in order to be rooted and established in love, we have to hear different kinds of voices. We have to hear voices contrary to our own. And so it may be in the things we read, the, the podcasts we listen to, the news we watch, all those different things. Because I know for me, there are authors that I like. And oftentimes I like them because they're right. In other words, by that I mean they think the same way that I think. And it's encouraging sometimes to read these and think, oh yeah, I've had it right all along. Look, see, I've got a book here that says so. But sometimes it's challenging to pick up another book that makes me think a different way, that offers a different perspective. And at the end of the day, I may not come down and I may remain in that same position I had before. But I've also heard a different voice. And sometimes it's helpful hearing the different voice and even recognizing that this is a secret. Christians can sometimes disagree on things and it's okay. We don't have to agree on everything. But there's a value in that to know that we can sit in pews next to one another, that we can sing songs together, we can encourage one another, and that because we're different, we're understanding the love of God and we hear about the love of God in different ways. That each one of you has experienced the love of God in different ways. Some of you experience that love of God by going out into nature. Some of you may be experiencing it in song. Some of you may be experiencing it in prayer. Some of you experience it in study. You experience it in different ways. And because of all those different experiences, we as a community are deeply enriched. And we become more and more rooted and established in his love as we experience that love in different ways. And so what Paul is saying is, it's necessary for us to be around people that are different from us. And then he goes on and he says, and I pray that you having been rooted, established in love, may have power. Again, you hear that word. You have power to do what? Together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. To know the love that surpasses knowledge. Sounds like a bit of a contradiction, doesn't it? How do you know something if you, you can't know it? And think about, know, think about the idea of knowing. All of us know different things, don't we? We might know the date of when World War II began. We may be able to know what the preamble to the Constitution is. We may be able to know how to take apart an engine and put it back together. We may be able to know how a song goes. We may be able to know music theory. We may be able to know how to build something. We may be able to know how to put things together. We may know how to cook 
a good lasagna. We know how all, all those different things. But those are things we can say and we can clarify. But then to say, what does it mean to know the love of something? To know someone's love. And even think about people. When we say, I know someone. We even use that word in different ways, don't we, sometimes? You might say, well, I know that person. But we know people in different ways, don't we? You know, a friend from high school from 10, 20, 30 years ago, he's like, yeah, I know them. Do you know them? And some of us have kept in touch with them. Some of us maybe haven't talked to them since we graduated from school. But you say, yeah, I know that person. Do you know them in the same way that you know maybe a family member or your closest friend? And so there's this idea of knowing. And so he's saying to know and he's just saying, know what? Know the love of Christ. And he's saying, but in order to know that, let's go back. He says, I pray that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp this. In other words, you cannot understand the love of God apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. That God's love isn't something you can learn simply by reading about it in a book. But the love of God is something to be experienced, and it's experienced as God himself reveals to it. We need strength to do it because sometimes it's hard to believe. And this is what Paul is getting at, that we're not simply to know God's love in the same way that we know the quadratic formula. Or that we know how to drive a car. Or that we know which drawer in our house has the knives. Instead, we're called to know God's love deep inside of us and to know it in a totally different way. And that's hard sometimes. I know for me, that's always been a hard thing because I tend to live most of my life up here. I like to think, I like to read, I like to understand things. And what Paul is inviting us to do here is he's saying, you need to know it somewhere else. And he's saying this is the key, one of the keys to the Christian life is to know the love of Christ, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This is the foundation from which all things start. To know that Christ loves you. I mean, I can stand up here and tell you that God loves you. I can tell you that you can know that love because Jesus died on a cross for you. That he poured out his Holy Spirit for you. That God's love is this Hessian love, this undying, this unfailing, unbreaking kind of love. But what Paul is inviting us to do is to not simply to know that, to be able to recite it, to be able to put it down in a book. But he wants us to know that love deep inside. To know the heights and the depths, the widths, the breadth of Christ's love for us. He says it surpasses knowledge. In other words, it's not something you can get from a book, but it's instead something to experience. And so when I think about what Paul is praying for here, that he's praying for us to know the love of God more deeply. And so I want us to think about a couple ways we might do that. Think about one is how do we pray? How do we pray for ourselves? How do we pray for our church? How do we pray for others? 
And one way you might simply pray is, God, I want to know your love more. I want to know and experience and, and know that love because sometimes we have trouble believing it. Sometimes we have trouble believing that God could truly love us. Sometimes we have trouble believing that God could truly love other people. And so it's to say, God, I need to know this love and I need to know that those voices that I hear, those things that I say to myself sometimes simply are not true. But instead that I am loved deeply and down to the core of my being by the God who is the creator of the universe so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I am loved. And I can say that, but Paul doesn't want me to just be able to say that. Paul wants me to be able to know it. To know it with every fiber of my being. To know it down to the core of who I am. And so one of the things I'm challenging myself to do is to pray that more and more for you. And I would encourage you to pray it for one another and pray it for yourself. That you would know that love more and more. Second thing we might think about is how are we exposing our, how are we becoming more and more rooted and established in love by exposing ourselves to people who think differently than we do? Now, this might be a tricky exercise because you're all sitting here, but one thing I would invite you to do, and I'll, you'll see why in a moment, invite you to do is spend a little more time with somebody with whom you have some disagreements on. And so this is where it gets a little bit awkward because now if any of you call one another in the next week <laughs> and say, hey, Let's get together for dinner. You might be saying, hmm, do they not like me? What's going on here? <laughs> so it could get a little bit awkward, but my point is, let's all try and push ourselves outside of our comfort zones a little bit. To spend time with somebody who has a different way of seeing the world than we do. It may be somebody within this congregation. It may be somebody outside the congregation. And that may be in the context of the best way is a one-on-one -on -one relationship, but it may be in the context, like I said, of maybe reading something from a totally different perspective or listening to someone from a different perspective to tune into a different radio station, to pick up a different kind of book. And if you're looking for something different, I'm more than happy to recommend some to say, let me see this from a different perspective. Let me see this from a different way of doing it so that I can become more and more rooted and established in love because... The communal nature of our love is absolutely essential. Final thing is what I would encourage to do is ask ourselves, when have we relied more on our own effort than on God's indwelling power? To think about all these things again, whether it's interacting with somebody who's thinking differently than you, whether it's knowing God's love, but to realize and to remember that this absolutely requires God's indwelling power to make that transformation possible. And so you may want to do an inventory, maybe think about in your own life, say, when am I relying on my own power and strength instead of the power of God at work inside of me? Because it ends verse 20 and verse 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So question, is there anything that you can ask or imagine that God cannot do? This is what it's saying. I mean, it, he's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. 
Sometimes we just don't ask enough. Sometimes we don't imagine enough because his power is at work within us. And so be bold and to ask and say, God, I need this change. I need this transformation. I'm having trouble knowing your love. I don't really feel it down inside of here. God is able to do immeasurably more than ask all you ask or imagine. God, I'm having trouble loving that person over here. God is able to do immeasurably more than you ask or imagine. But it's his power at work within us, not our own strength, not our own, I can do this, not our own, pull myself up by my own bootstraps and get it done. But it's the power of God at work within us. So may we this week, saints, that's how God describes us, isn't it? God's holy people. May we know God's love more and more this week. May you know it down in your core. And may as you approach God, may he do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And may in this coming week, may there be glory to him in us, in the church, and in Christ Jesus. Amen.